Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Automata Podcast. I'm John Southurst from bitsonline.com, and with me as usual is Daniel Corey from Pactum Capital. Hey there, Daniel. Hi, John. Hi, everybody. As always, we're going to bring you all the latest news from what we call the automated economy, blockchain, cryptocurrencies, digital assets, and the parts that hold it all together, which is what we're doing here today. Today, our guest is uh, Mason Border. He's the CEO and co-founder of a company called Tokensoft, and that's a, a SaaS solution, software as a service solution for projects to run their own token sales. Or uh, as we as we more commonly know them, initial coin offerings or ICOs. And uh, previously, Mason worked as a software engineer at BitGo. And uh, he was also involved with uh, GenLife and Doc.ai. And uh, he was also one of the creators of uh, Ether.li, which is, I think that was the first multi-sig Ethereum wallet. Is that correct, Mason? Yeah, that's right. That was the, the first one at the time. Cool. All right. Well, um, that's... That's pretty interesting history. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into it in the first place and how uh, how you moved through BitGo and ended up here? It, it's it started uh, me me and my my friend uh, uh, were were uh, we're looking at starting sort of a payments trail and and the vision was for it to be a frictionless payments trail and as we we're doing working through this project and doing research we we learned about Bitcoin. And um, the technology was really interesting to me because it was sort of a self-sustaining payment system. There was no one controlling it. Uh, the technology was, was really, I, I thought, very novel. And, and the way the system functioned was just really interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, as, as we learned about it as a payments trail, we decided we could you know, do something better. And so uh, we, we were looking at starting a, a dollar-based blockchain, which is basically a fork of, 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 of Litecoin. And, um, and, and so, yeah, that, that was sort of the introduction to the technology, ended up building uh, wallets for that and, and full-stack infrastructure uh, and, and apps. Um, and, um, yeah, we, we worked on that for about a year, uh, did a legal review and, and learned that it's, it's something we, we probably shouldn't launch uh, due, to, uh, mon- due to money services business issues. And so... Um, so we sort of wrapped that up and uh, uh, looked up some Bitcoin companies, and there weren't too many good ones at the time. Uh, this was in in, in 2014, um, and uh, but yeah, one of them that that I liked was was Bitgo. Um, it was one of the more uh, reputable companies, and and they were working on some some very interesting tech, helping uh, helping exchanges and and. Um, hedge funds store their crypto in a secure manner, and so yeah, ended ended up there and, and was there for for a couple of years. Let me ask you about wallets, Mason. So, what is it about wallets that maybe people don't understand? Because you have this background with BitGo, and clearly TokenSoft works with wallets. So, what is it that people should know about wallets? Because I think a lot of people want to secure their their digital assets safely. I, I see. I see a lot of folks um, have a great level of comfort with storing their crypto on online services, like uh, the ones they use day to day, especially uh, you know exchanges, uh, my Ether wallet. And uh, what happens when these as these tools become more convenient is the security is uh, is is overlooked, and that's that's typically an afterthought if you're you know doing some trading and and you know just keeping your funds on the exchange. Um, but the, the reality of it is uh, cryptocurrencies are 
um, supposed to be currencies that you truly control. And so if you don't really have the private key, you don't have the funds, and if you are keeping it on online services, um, it's very easy to have your accounts uh, compromised. Um, and so I think one thing um, that's really important to grasp is sort, sort of the gravity of the situation. You know, um, if you do have all of your cryptocurrency in wallets that, that only you control and can access, then um, that does mean that, you know, if the services that you are using, if they go down, you still have your, your, your assets. Um, and, and I think, you know, people do become a little bit too comfortable with it. And as you're going day to day, you know, using your email, downloading stuff here and there, um, the the uh, attack service uh, is is very large on your on your on your standard you know computer and, and the services that you're using. So um, I think the the gravity of the security is something that the most people don't get, and something something people should do a little bit of research on before they you know get into it. Yeah, I was speaking to some guys in uh, Miami last month, and they were security guys from outside of the crypto industry, and I think they. They were kind of horrified after they talked to some of the ICO projects down on the floor. And, uh, <laughs> most of them, they said, had, they hadn't even considered their security model, let alone, you know, could talk about uh, how they'd implemented it or anything like that. So, uh, how much of a how much of a deal is that? Like, what at what stage of development are the projects um, you would take on as clients at TokenSoft? So, so I, I think that the the like few like things that we need we we have as hard requirements are you know they do have to have a law firm um, in place that does have some um, you know a securities team that they can work with. Um, in terms of product, we see the product at, at various stages um, because we are helping uh, people do you know essentially regulated ICOs under uh, Reg D or Reg S or Reg Reg A plus. Reg a plus. Um, these don't necessarily have to be um, uh, projects that, that are fully developed. And, and the reason is, you know, they're, they're issuing securities. Um, and, and so we, we do see these sort of in all phases of, of, um, of, of, of functioning. Um, but when they do come to us, um, usually they, they understand exactly how their token is going to behave in the real world. Um, and they have a, a, you know, a reputable law firm that has securities ex experience uh, secured. Let me go a little bit deeper here and ask you, the people that come to TokenSoft to do an ICO, what is their motivation? Is it just to raise capital or is there a, do they come with a bigger idea and you help shape it? Or how does that all work? Yeah, I, I, I think... Uh, I, I think that's the, the hardest hardest part for people because on the outside you're you're sort of seeing the headline of this company raised this much or that company raised that much. Um, so for for, um, for 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 a lot of people out there, it, it is about the money. But the projects that we see typically have um, have some sort of big vision or an existing product. Um, our, our clients are startups. Enterprises that are, you know, existing businesses with, with revenues and real business um, funds or um, investment banks and broker dealers, and so um, with with the startups, sometimes we do see them a little bit younger. But the kind of projects that we we tend to attract are um, typically the the bigger visions, the the ones that are that are better validated by the market. Um, and we're very lucky to have have that sort of um, uh, clientele coming to us. 
I probably should rewind a little bit and um, and ask you to explain what TokenSoft actually does. Yeah, this is this is probably really important. Um, so uh, when when they come in the door, the first thing we 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 sort of make sure they have is is you know cold storage wallets so they can securely accept uh, accept funds. Um, that's that's sort of the the so that's sort of the highest concern for us is is the security of, of, of everything that we do and from there we basically set up a, a a white label platform for them to run their ICO through um, or or their token sale and these these have a variety of labels now um, and and so um, basically our, our platform helps enforce um, securities regulations. Um, based on their council's guidance, um, and we have support for various jurisdictions. Um, so with, with certain clients, um, in particular our funds, they are actively in, uh, checking for various securities requirements in you know, over 50 jurisdictions. Um, so, so it's a combination of you know, the, uh, when, when a user comes into their platform to buy into the sale, they have to undergo the KYC AML, they have to undergo the investor accreditation, and and they have to go through a series of, of uh, legal terms before they can get to uh, the payment or, or the purchase. And so we provide a, a platform that enables um, companies to run these sales at scale. What kind of assets does your platform support? Because I know many of these are done off of Ethereum. Also, Stellar is becoming popular. What, do you, what, do you, what technology, technologies do you guys work with? And what do you kind of see like the future looking like for this? Yeah, so the the first two that we started supporting were, were Bitcoin and Ethereum. And um, s starting about, I want to say, four to five months ago, uh, people started asking us about Stellar. And so uh, more recently, we had one client that requested Stellar support. So now Stellar is, is, is one of those options as well. Um, where, where do we see it going? It, it's... It's very demand-based, um, so if we do see demand for uh, one technology or another, um, we are willing to, to support it. Um, but at the same time, it does have to be, um, we do have our own assessment that we do. So for example, it does have to be uh, a large market for that technology. Um, and, and you know there has to be future demand for that. And those are some of the characteristics that, that we have to assess as well before we support an additional technology. So um, do, you, do you find it quite hard to build a, a solid solution to you know all these ICO-related problems? Because what I see is the playing field keeps shifting. You know, every new statement from the SEC might change the, <laughs> change the field somehow. Is that a problem for you or is it really not an issue? So, so um, I think that's that's the interesting thing. When um, when we started the company, we, we we sort of took a look at the landscape and and sort of figured out how, what is the right way to do these um, um, based on on the regulations out there. And and we do see this as a playing field that's that's uh, dominated in terms of regulation by the SEC. Um, a majority of these sales are are securities sales, and so. Um, because we've erred on the size, side of doing things the right way in terms of regulation, um, we've seen folks shift over towards doing these in, in this manner. And so I, I think last summer was primarily dominated by utility token sales or more open sales where anyone, anyone comes in. But 
These are slowly shifting to launching as as uh, sales under Regulation D or Regulation S, um, and and that's something that's um, that we've been able to mature to uh, mature into because we've been doing it that way from from the beginning. I want to ask about. I guess this is kind of like a competitive strategy thing, though. But if you think about it, what you're doing is disruptive and competitive to Wall Street, right? Wall Street generally is where you would go to issue something to raise funding. Have you had any interactions with folks on Wall Street or in finance and, and how they feel about this stuff? Yeah, and um, I, I was just there actually last week, and um, our our approach is not so much, um, you know, we're going to, you know, disrupt you and, and, and take your business as, uh, <laughs> as as much as it is, you know, um, we have the tools to help you uh, service your clients, um, you know, for uh, not only fiat-based uh, transactions and for the fiat-based world, but also for the uh, cryptocurrency-based world. And so our approach is, is more so to, to provide them the tools um, to build additional lines of business um, versus try to, um, you know, take that business away. And so uh, we're, we're, more of, uh, we're in more of a supporting role to, to Wall Street than a, a competitive role. So your focus is uh, very, very heavily on security and regulation. And um, that, that's good for very credible projects that actually have a chance but uh, do you think that the, the biggest problem for ICOs might be um, obscurity more than regulation? You know, like they're, they're worried about the regulation, but really they need to worry about um, how they're going to get any attention. Do you help with that at all? Yeah, we're, we're seeing that becoming a more and more common concern. And we're seeing, you know, sales sort of, uh, sort of pause and, and um, reassess the situation. Um, not not necessarily our clients, but in the in the greater greater spectrum of, of projects out there. Um, I, I think that as long as you do have a a good law firm that can guide you in the right direction, um, that they should be able to assess the the risk and the situation and 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 you know guide you in the best manner possible. So we we typically have a, a white list of law firms that we're comfortable our clients working with, and we try we we try to make sure that they. Um, you know, work with with um, one of those one of those law firms. Um, so, I, I think it's it's sort of a situation where, um, just like anything else, um, you know, you're going to either uh, expend a little bit more effort and do it the right way, or you're going to try to figure it out um, uh, on your own. And and so, um, I, I think as long as people are working with the right law firms, that they should, uh, you know, be comfortable move, moving forward. You know, one thing that can often, I guess, kill a startup is is regulation. Unfortunately, because many I've seen many startups, especially in this ecosystem, they spend a lot of money on on regulation or or trying to comply, um, and then once they are in compliance, uh, they don't have enough operating capital to continue the business. So, realistically, what kind of budget do people need to have? In order to to do something like this, you mean from the from the perspective of the issuer? From the perspective of the issuer needing the legal framework and guidance to do this, like, do you tell these people you're going to have to spend this much money on lawyers, or else <laughs> that you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Do you give them a reasonable expectation of that, or? Yeah. So typically, they they've already um, selected their their lawyer prior to 
to engaging with us. Um, but yeah, the uh, the typical budgets um, for running one of these in a regulated manner is um, you know one million plus, um, and and so that's sort of the the, the war chest that people are going into these sales uh, with, um, and, and so yeah, it's it's definitely not not you know cheap to do these, but uh, it is important to make sure you know whatever. Uh, whatever it is you're engaging um, engaging in, you know, in terms of a, a company or, or a project, it is sort of future-proofed and built for the long term. And and one one of the ways uh, to do that is to you know work with the best counsel for the space that that you choose to work in. So I know one of the biggest advantages and and also one of the biggest problems with ICOs is that uh, any project can sell tokens to any investor. And uh, I think we're seeing that all change now because people want more. Um, they want more trust. Uh, you know, they want someone else to do their due diligence for them. That kind of thing, and it's becoming more regulated, of course. Do you do you think that in ten years will ICOs be just like IPOs are now, and they're going to be just as uh, inaccessible to uh, small projects as IPOs are now? I, I think the interesting thing about this uh, whole uh, ICO market is that. Um, what 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 are like the fundamentals that that we've sort of like uh, developed? Um, f so so before when when you you were a startup you wanted to do crowdfunding typically you could just you know sell these to the U.S. market but for the first time we we are actually learning um, the rules of of crowdfunding globally and so one one of the the the, the beauty of all this is that we we are now providing access to um, to raising capital um, uh, to to a global audience for these companies, and and no matter where you are, you can sort of participate in in these sales. And so, uh, my hope is that these fundamentals sort of persist. And it's hard to it's hard to project exactly where it will go, but I I, I do see a paradigm shift, and it is shifting towards uh, greater access accessibility. Uh, versus, you know, more more um, private sales where um, only an, an elite few have have access to the deals. We're somewhat trying to get you to predict the future here, but I do want to ask about exchanges because the exchange environment is very interesting. It's global. Every exchange has different assets. Some exchanges don't want to list many, like Coinbase, GDAX. What's the future of exchange? I mean, these things will need to be on some sort of platform. Is that going to be centralized platforms across the globe, or is it going to be decentralized using OX and other other protocols like that? Like, what's it going to look like? Do you think? I think what we are seeing come to fruition is sort of a global uh, financial fabric where where the, um, the rules of every, of every jurisdiction are becoming more clear and we are developing tools that can help uh, assets move globally more freely. Um, whether those um, are sort of hard rules and built into the system or, or whether um, these assets transfer through you know, decentralized exchanges, I think remains to be seen. Um, but it, it does come down to more clarity on the regulation. So, it it could go either way, but I think the one the one thing that's common between you know the decentralized exchange route versus the centralized exchange route is uh, these assets have become more more liquid and and there is greater 
um, liquidity across the various jurisdictions around the world. So have you ever actually turned down a client who is looking for uh, your help? Absolutely. Um, there's... You don't have to name them or anything, just to, just to, <laughs> in case you have. Yeah, did you just tell them no or were you were you nice about it? Um, I, I think, yeah, it's, it's, always, it's always hard to say no, um, but uh, they're... Uh, and and I, I guess we're we're one of those companies that doesn't receive um, we don't receive a lot of the wrong clients um, through our doors because we do have we do have good filters. Um, but yeah, there have been a couple times where um, you know if if it seems like it's 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 a project that's not like well developed or they're not in it for the right reasons, we usually don't uh, continue the conversation. But uh, most of our, our deal flow does come through lawyers, and and they tend to be you know high, higher quality projects and, and higher quality teams, um, and so um, we haven't had to say uh, no too much. Um, but yeah, it's always difficult to to sort of like turn turn these down. Let me okay. So let me let me ask you what what would it be if when a client comes to you and it's an absolute yes? What what makes that? An easy decision. Well, it's uh, we do have to learn a significant amount uh, about the project um, before we we commit to it. Um, but th their legal team is 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 one of them. Um, we do take them through a uh, a rigorous intake process, and if they they make it through that, then then we take them in. Um, but you know, it's some of the fundamentals. Um, a good team that can, and, and these are the trends amongst, uh, you know, all of our clients, uh, good te teams that are very good and, and can execute. Um, they are working with, you know, very high quality law firms. Uh, they are structure, structuring these, these sales in, in the, the strictest manner possible in terms of, you know, adhering to the regulations and compliance requirements. Um, and so those are some of the, the fundamentals of, of the folks that, that do come through our filters. Do you think in the future as a, uh as the regulation increases, um, investors themselves are going to put some pressure on the projects. Then they want a little bit more from their investments. You know, they want more than a utility token. They want an actual share in the company. Is do you see that happening, or uh, are tokens always going to be something a little bit different? Yeah, no. Um, so, in terms of the enterprises that we service, uh, we do have clients that are doing um, tokens that are linked to equity. Uh, in the company, and so, for example, um, they will um, they will say, okay, we want to do a, a sale for I don't know, for, for example, uh, fifteen percent of the equity in our company, and each token is going to represent a share um, in this company, and so that's something that we're seeing become more and more common as more sophisticated um, um, businesses and enterprises enter the space. Um, and, and for just to give another example, we're also seeing for the funds, they're essentially tokenizing their LP interest. And um, when you own a token that, that does represent an LP interest in this company, um, you, are, um, you are able to, for example, receive dividends on a quarterly basis or maybe on an annual basis. Um, and, and you are able to essentially... Uh, sell this token, um, you know, if, if, if there is um, an exchange that is supporting it. So um, th those are some of, the, some of the things that we're seeing as the interest, in, industry is maturing and there's different types of players entering the space. We're almost out of time, but I want to give a little space for you to find, you know, let people find you. Um, I do have a question, though. Can you teach us to be good 
at Twitter like you are? How do how do how do I do that? Did you just did you just you just tweet a lot, right? Like that's how you that's how you did it. What's the secret? You know, uh, I I won't say I'm 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 you know I don't have you know tens of thousands of followers or anything, uh, but it does take uh, a a lot of a lot of practice and. Um, you know, if you want to be be good at Twitter, just just keep tweeting. You know, um, every every minute of your day, um, every every chance you get, just just keep tweeting, and uh, one day you will be you will be good at it. <laughs> that, that's good advice, and um, also a little bit horrific, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, other than that, I think. Um, did you want to tell everybody where they can find you? Mason? Uh, yeah, the, the best the best place to find me is on uh, Twitter. Uh, my my Twitter handle is Masonic underscore tweets, um, and uh, that's where I'm most accessible. Um, and uh, what's the what's the homepage for TokenSoft if people want to look there? It's uh, TokenSoft.io. Okay, cool. All right, and that was Mason Border of TokenSoft. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, you've been listening to Automata with John Southurst and Daniel Corey. For all the latest crypto and tech news, check out bitsonline.com. And Daniel is the co-founder and CEO of Pactum Capital. You can find that at pactumcapital.com. Okay, we'll be back soon with another report from the crypto economy. And always remember this, the future is automated. See you next time. Bye-bye.